0: Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. Welcome to part nine of our multi-part series on the Department of Justice revised memoranda on evaluation of corporate compliance programs that came out uh, on April 31st, or at least was uh, announced on April 31st. And we've been talking about it now for a couple of weeks now and uh, have uh, probably just a couple more episodes while we wrap it up. Uh, Today, we're going to talk about Section C of Part Two, which has to do with incentives and disciplinary measures, and as you all know, we talked about incentives in the past on this podcast and elsewhere. Incentives is uh, a, an area of the of uh, compliance program development and evaluation uh, that tends not to get discussed too frequently, and one of the reasons is there's not a lot of guidance out there. Uh, there was not a lot of guidance in the original sentencing guidelines. Uh, about incentives other than that there ought to be incentives and incentives are part of an effective program. And subsequent uh, guidance from our friends at the Department of Justice uh, has has not really thrown too much light on what that might be. What's interesting about this new memo, and one of the uh, uh, new pieces of the puzzle, if you will, that is actually uh, different from the 2017 memo and also the guidance from 2012, uh, for FCPA, where a lot of this commentary uh, comes from, and the division into the three different queries comes from, is some discussion around some very s- specific things that you might see uh, when you're talking about uh, uh, when you're talking about uh, incentives and uh, uh, disciplinary measures. So let's let's jump right into to that. Uh, As with every other section, there are a couple of preliminary paragraphs before we go into the queries. The first uh, part of this paragraph talks about something that we've discussed many times here when we're talking about uh, discipline and investigations. Uh, uh, The query that says prosecutors should assess whether the company has clear disciplinary procedures in place and enforces them consistently across the organization. And are those procedures commensurate with violations? And in other words, they are going to look into how consistently discipline is applied, uh, whether it's applied uh, to to high performers and senior executives in the same way it would be applied to people further down the totem pole. Uh, Also, prosecutors should assess to the extent to which the company's communications convey to employees that unethical conduct will not be tolerated and will bring swift consequences regardless of the position or title of the employee who engages in it. So that reinforces this notion uh, that they expect that you're going to have a discipline process that's transparent and consistent and fair uh, across the board, but that you're also uh, amplifying that. This is one thing that I often encourage organizations to do, for example, in their code of conduct, Uh, Most codes of conduct uh, have a discussion of disciplinary um, issues or disciplinary policy or investigations in coordination with discipline. And in that section, uh, I think it's really important to talk about, you know, to to be transparent about what the disciplinary process and the investigation processes are and that uh, they're consistent uh, and that information will be provided uh, about those uh, processes as uh, to the extent that's possible. A new uh, part that is in this uh, section C that, that didn't appear in the prior version of this memo is the second paragraph uh, where they go into some detail about how you, might come a, how you might come around to this. It says, by way of example, some companies have found that publicizing disciplinary actions internally where appropriate can have valuable deterrent effects. At the same time, some companies have also found that providing positive incentives, promotions, rewards, bonuses for improving and developing a compliance program or de- demonstrating ethical leadership have driven compliance. So um, we often um, uh, throw our hands up in the air and say, well, that, you know, what makes incentives? What, uh, what are the expectations around dis- uh, dis- disciplinary policy or, or how, how do we handle these things? Well, you have some concrete examples that are being provided here. Uh, let's, do, let's talk about the first one first, and that has to do with discipline, and that has to do with publicizing the results of, an, of uh, disciplinary efforts or investigations. Um, many organizations still are reticent to do this. Uh, they get pushback from HR investigators. They get pushback from labor counsel, outside counsel, um, who uh, feel like uh, you should not be talking about uh, these uh, disciplinary actions. I've said many times on this podcast, and I've said many times whenever I speak on this issue, you need to push back on that. You need to get uh, some real concrete answers as to why. And you need to set up some criteria where you can provide some information, even if you have to scrub it, anonymize it in some way. It is really, really important to be able to show uh, that the company takes these things seriously. And if you don't care that you know i'm saying it on a podcast you should care that it's being mentioned in a memoranda that comes from the department of justice and the outside counsel that is telling you you cannot uh, provide these details needs to be aware that this is what the expectations are now uh, from regulators that are overseeing uh, the whether we're going to make a determination potentially as to whether your program is effective or not so if you're not doing this already if you're not already uh, don't already have some sort of process in place where you at least make a call on what information can be released. You need to talk about that, and you need to talk about that with those internal and external stakeholders that typically uh, are not interested in revealing any information around uh, investigation outcomes, and particularly discipline outcomes, because here it is in black and white, uh, that uh, there's an expectation that you're going to use that valuable information. And related to that, uh, the first query uh, under the uh, query section of Part C is titled Human Resource Processes. And it asks, who participates in making disciplinary decisions, including for the type of misconduct at issue? Are the same processes followed for each instance? And if not, why not? Are the actual reasons for discipline communicated to employees? If not, why not? So again, if you aren't publicizing the uh, results from these investigations, the disciplinary results, uh, that query is going to be made. Why aren't you doing that? What's the reason? And here is the follow-up to that: Is are the actual reasons for discipline communicated employees? If if not, why not? Are there legal or investigation-related reasons for restricting information, or have pretextual reasons? been provided to protect the company from whistleblowing or outside scrutiny. Well, that's really direct. That's uh, suggesting that um, perhaps the reason why companies aren't providing details is because they don't want people to know what's going on. Uh, They don't want people, uh, uh, employees and others that uh, have interest in the investigation to know what the results were. Well, that's pretty serious, and that's, uh, uh, that's a query that you can expect to get. So again, If you take nothing else from this section C, you should take from it the notion that if you aren't currently providing that information, you need to find out who has said no, if anybody said no, if it's HR or if it's uh, outside counsel or general counsel or whoever it is, and find out why and find out if there's a way to provide something and what would be the criteria to make the determination about what you share. So you can consistently apply that across the board. That's really important. Second query under C is consistent application, have disciplinary actions and incentives been fairly and consistently applied. We've already talked about that. That was in the preamble. doesn't matter who you are in the organization, where you are placed in the organization, are you being treated the same and consistently? That's really important. Last query in this section is incentive system. Has the company considered uh, the implications of incentives and rewards on compliance. So you, do you even have anything? And if you, you know, what have you considered and what's the program in place? How do you inf- incentivize uh, a compliance and ethical behavior? Have there been specific examples taken, he, he, uh, uh, of actions taken, uh, promotions or awards denied, for example, if somebody uh, has uh, been involved in misconduct? Um, and who determines the compensation, including bonuses, as well as discipline and promotion of compliance personnel. So these are all negative, uh, I would say, uh, incentives, not necessarily positive incentives. I think uh, what people are often looking for is how can you implement cons- incentives uh, that uh, uh, can, can incentivize in a positive way. So to look for that in this section, so you have to really go back to that, uh, that second paragraph. Uh, under C, and that's on, by the way, this is all on page 12 and 13 of the memorandum. Uh, and that talks about personnel promotions, rewards, bonuses uh, for improving and developing compliance programming or demonstrating ethical leadership. Uh, one thing here it doesn't talk about this specifically, but uh, 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 you can set objective criteria that can be met either by uh, personnel or management uh, uh, personnel in the organization. Uh, there are ways to set objectives and reward those objectives. We do it all the time uh, in organizations for uh, uh, a lot of different um, aspects of, of the job. Um, we, there's no reason why we can't set objective criteria and measure that objective criteria and reward that, uh, the, 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 over, the employee or the manager for engaging in the appropriate behavior. Um, but uh, if you don't have uh, objective criteria around incentives and you haven't really developed an incentive program, just know that that's going to be a query uh, if there ever is an investigation. So that's really it for incentives. Incentives, uh, uh, as always, don't get a lot of uh, discussion in this guidance. Um, we have a prior podcast if you want to look back through our um, uh, the archive on compliancebeat.com that talk about incentives and we'll talk about incentives in the future, obviously, too. Uh, our next episode, uh, on, on this topic, part 10, uh, I think I'm going to try to cover the entirety of part three, which is does the program work, which is the last of the three queries. Um, I think we can get that done in one podcast and we'll, we'll wrap this up and then, uh, I might do one sort of, uh, uh, conclu- conclusion, conclusory <laughs> podcast to just kind of talk about this, uh, speaking of talking about this, um, Uh, Memo. I mentioned on the last podcast that on uh, June the 20th, I will be in Houston uh, participating in a uh, uh, a discussion, a panel discussion with some other luminaries uh, talking about this very document and what does it mean. I think, however, uh, in the last episode, I misstated that it was going to be sponsored by AFDA. It's actually sponsored by the Federal Bar Association, the Southern District of Texas chapter. So if I, I think I misspoke, I apologize. So uh, it's actually being put on uh, by the Federal Bar Association. It's, it is, however, actually going to be at the Lock Lord offices in the Chase Tower, 600 Travis. That's the 25th floor. It's going to be uh, Thursday, June 20th uh, from 1145 to 1 p.m., I will put uh, a link to the flyer on the uh, show notes for this podcast. Uh, It's been approved for one hour of CLE credit here in Texas. I would assume that's Texas. And uh, if you want any more information about it or you want to register, uh, I'll put the email address in the show notes, but it's fba.southtx at gmail.com, which is the email address for the Federal Bar Association for the Southern District of Texas. That's fba.southtx at gmail. The panel is going to consist of Suzanne L. Milady, who is a assistant U.S. attorney in Houston. Uh, myself, uh, Marianne Ibrahim, uh, who's director of global compliance at Baker Hughes. Uh, the former director of global compliance at Baker Hughes, Jay Martin, who's now at Wilkie Farr. And Robert Robert McStay, who is a senior associate general general counsel for Memorial Hermann Hospitals, uh, so lots of uh, lots of folks and lots of ideas, and uh, we'd sure love to see you there on uh, June twentieth. Uh, please do um, uh, if you're in Houston and you need a, an hour of CLE and you're interested in some uh, discussion around this memoranda and what it all means. Uh, please do join us for that luncheon event. At Lock Lord. Also, as I mentioned, I now have uh, information that will be posted in the show notes here for the upcoming uh, uh, webinar with my friends at Clear Law Institute. It's entitled Creating an Effective Compliance and Ethics Program Practical Considerations and Regulator Expectations. Uh, given the last part of that title, you know I'll be talking about this memo, but also I'll be talking about some practical ways. Uh, to meet these uh, expectations that's going to be on june 19th the day before uh, the event in houston at 3 p.m eastern time 2 p.m central time uh, and uh, you can either find that on clear law institute's website ClearLawInstitute.com, or again i'll have uh, the link in the show notes for this podcast in Uh, any other future podcasts I have up until the time of that event. Uh, There are some other uh, webinars coming up. I don't have all the details yet, but as soon as I do, I'll announce those here. As always, please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Uh, Please do feel free to get in touch with us if you have any uh, questions for us. Um, You can find out more information at compliancebeat.com or moreheadconsulting.com. So next time uh, for part 10, I really am going to try to uh, wrap this up. I know I took some time on some of the earlier sections, but I think those are the ones uh, in practical terms that are uh, more valuable for somebody who's trying to either build or assess or improve uh, a working compliance program and meet the effectiveness uh, criteria, whatever that might be, uh, depending on uh, the source you're looking at. Uh, so uh, the third question, how does it work? Does it work? Um, we've talked a lot about that already in some of the earlier sections, and we'll reiterate uh, some of the queries that we know our friends uh, from the Department of Justice, at least, are going to ask us if they ever are making that query themselves. So until uh, next episode, please do join us uh, in the future and uh, hope to hope to see you there. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.